Welcome to Retail Done Right. I'm Christine Gonzalez-Wertz. And I'm Jeff Fisher. Nike Live. Okay. I plug Nike. Of course. I had to keep my streak alive, Christine. Yep. I must say that Nike's approach to always testing new retail ideas is one of the reasons I respect them so much. The Nike Live concept started as a pop-up. I shopped the one on Melrose in LA, added benefits by using their app. I think I got a free pair of socks, an assortment that's tailored to the community by mining the data of what was selling online in that geographic region. I can go on. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Another one of my favorites, Christine. We got it. (laughs) I know. I know. I hear you. Nordstrom Local. It's another example of a concept that started as a pop-up. It's pretty clear, I think, what we're talking about today. Yeah. Yep. It sure is. And Nordstrom and I had a a little bit of a love affair earlier in the week, so I can't say anything. So (laughs) let me just go on to say that, in my opinion, what constitutes a pop-up can be interpreted very broadly. And I'm excited to delve into uh, this wonderful form of retail with you guys. There is real value, as we have talked about in depth in physical retail, but it can be expensive, slow to develop and risky. There's a solution out there, pop-ups. You aren't locked into a long-term lease. The CapEx can be minimal. You can get open quickly. You can test and learn new ideas, assortments, experiences. You can be seasonally relevant. Why aren't we seeing more and more pop-up shops? There's a lot of empty storefronts out there still. What's holding brands and developers back? George Bird, Director of Customer Experience at Merge, joins us today to guide us through the opportunities pop-up presents. George. Welcome to Retail Done Right. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Christine. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. This is a great opportunity to talk about pop-ups. It doesn't happen very often these days. George, we have history. We do actually have history. We have history that goes back, wow, probably about 20 years for the two of us, right? Yes, getting close to that. I'd say even Christine, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm currently the Director of Customer Experience at Merge. We're a branding agency that deals in packaging, brands, retail, you name it, we try and touch on it. And our big thing is about telling stories and storytelling as sort of the common thread through how things work. Storytelling, that particular comment could not be more relevant for our discussion today. George, where in the world did this all start? Actually, I'm going to open this up to Christine too. What do each of you consider the first pop-up? Wow. I think for me, it would have to be a farmer's market or, yeah, a farmer's market. Or, or I think back at like watching uh, movies and TV shows where you had the guy selling weird stuff from the back of his truck. But I think farmer's market. For me, it was always the good humor ice cream truck. I can still hear that music. And that music just takes you right back. That might be the genesis of this type of retail. Modern Genesis, at least. George, I'm going to pick up what you said. I was going to say the snake oil salesman who went from town to town, or maybe who was kicked out from town to town. (laughs) That's brilliant. Let's go back 13th century. Just thought of this from my extensive reading. A tinker, you know, the itinerant tinsmith who used to go from town to town 
And that's, as I said, 13th century. I mean, so this is a notion, this form of pop-up has been with us forever. Well, you know what? Maybe I can trump you on this one. How about we go back even further? So I spent time as a child in the Mideast, and I remember going to the bazaar. And I know that the bazaar and the old market in Cairo has been around for, wow, thousands of years. Thousands of years. And the interesting thing about that is in those marketplaces, many of the sales associates, like, oh, not, not sales associates, many of the salesmen, <laughs> no, no sales associates in a bazaar. <laughs> They're really well structured. <laughs> yeah, really well structured bazaar. Um, let me back up. So many of the stalls in a bazaar are temporary. And so one week or one day you might have, a whole bunch of jewelers. The next week, you might have a bunch of carpet makers. That's what I loved about going with my mom as a child was that every time we went, it was completely different. And you hoped that your regular guy was going to be there, but you never knew if he was. I love that. Yeah. So, George, I had a rather broad definition of a pop-up, and we'll get to that. But tell me what yours is, please. I just want to hear your voice. <laughs> Let's see. I guess for me, the definition would be a temporary retail space that can either be in a more structured environment like a building, or it could be a tent. It could be the back of a truck. It makes me laugh to think about it because I remember just recently over Halloween, there were these Halloween shops that used to pop up. They would have takeover temporary retail spaces. And you go in, get your costume. Halloween's gone. It's now turning into a Christmas tree shop. Absolutely. I guess my definition would be pretty broad because it is really about selling on the fly for me. Let's talk about just how elastic each of your definitions are. Let's challenge this. I'm going to start mobile or portable retail. If you don't even have a physical location and you're only mobile, is this a pop-up? How about, for instance, food trucks? I say yes. Yeah, I agree with the food trucks. I think that's brilliant. And I think they're definitely pop-ups. Well, partially because I'm a foodie, but they sell product. They're temporary. They move around. People look forward to finding them. There's that sort of fear of missing out that happens every once in a while. If they're like, oh, the shawarma guy is coming. We got to go catch him before he takes off. I saw one yesterday. That's what Cheese said. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Humor and Whimsy is wonderful. Yeah, because I was going to visit one of my favorite is uh, Olivia's flower truck. And Olivia is the truck. It's opened up in the back to be able to retail flowers from a local flower farmer named Janelle. As we're all trying to find the job we wish we had. Or, by the way, IBM, I love you. I really do love you. Not about me. Um, As we are all trying to find the job we wish we had. She has created this new form of retail where instead of having a fixed florist, this flower farmer goes on the road and in this cute little adorable truck she outfitted exactly for this. That's brilliant. I love that. I'll take that job. Absolutely. That would make me feel so good. I uh, got a picture of Olivia and Janelle from this weekend. We'll put it in the show notes and we'll put it on Instagram too. This is a bit of a diversion, but with the guy... That you would see, uh, like, standing in the street in a trench coat, and he opens up his trench coat, and he says, do you want to buy a watch? Like the guys in New York that you run across, would those count as pop-ups or the ones that are selling the DVDs? Based on the earlier conversation about bazaars, why not? 
It is a form of pop-up. Now, mind you, it has to be closed. I'm not talking about opening up a trench coat and being naked or anything. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Good idea, George. Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) What about having a mobile or portable experience that is an extension of your physical retail presence? Is this different? And I'll offer up another one of my favorite examples, which is the Lancaster Cupcake. Flowers, cupcakes. My life is just about bringing joy. Lancaster Cupcake started as having the trucks before they had physical retail. And now they have two or three locations of very wonderful cupcakes. If you're in the area, be sure to stop by. Are they pop-ups now? Because they have a truck? Well, let me insert myself here and say we did something along that line when I was at Sunglass Hut with our Style Tour truck. We dressed up a truck. We had approximately, I think, 150 pairs of sunglasses in there, which is a much smaller assortment overall than a typical sunglass hut store. But it crossed the country. It went from beaches to events during the summer, all posting where it was going to be next on Twitter. And it was, I considered that absolutely a pop-up. I'm going to throw a counter here. I'm curious as to what you think if, if these would qualify. But Jeff, back in the day when we were doing work with Sprint, we designed a bunch of kiosks that lived in malls. I'd say that they were probably their first retail locations. It was before they actually had a retail spot. They shared some retail space with Radio Shack. Yes. But they eventually basically just said, okay, well, we'll open up kiosks in these malls. And some of them were carts that felt a little bit more temporary. But would those count? I tend to say no, in the sense that they were more permanent in the mall situation. But they did feel temporary in their sort of overall look and feel. It gets a little gray there, right? If it's purposely designed and intended to be permanent or as permanent as it can be in the walkways of a mall, then I would tend to think that's a little bit more of a permanent location. But there are ones in malls where they rotate through vendors and allow vendors to give them the opportunity to present their products in front of customers not with a purpose-designed and built fixture or kiosk, but one that already exists and maybe with some minor modifications and graphics, they can just go on in there with very low cost. I would say that is definitely a pop-up. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yep. Recently, you're starting to see Peloton do that to give people an opportunity to sample their wares. They have one location out in Wilmington. I thought I saw one at King of Prussia. So we're seeing more and more of that. I'll go, I'll go and throw something different out that, and I'll say opportunistic. So you've got festivals and events, whether you're at South by Southwest, whether it's the USTA, of which I believe Ralph Lauren is the official retailer. You've got Coachella, who has an Airstream pop-up experience trailer. Then you have the Olympics and all of the retail opportunities and add-ons to that. Would you consider these guys pop-ups? For sure. Those are opportunistic as far as an event goes, but then you also have seasonal pop-ups, ones that take advantage of the holidays. For example, when I'm being in Boston, I'm not far from Fenway Park. And when the park opens, all of these carts and vendors show up around Fenway Park to sell their goods. But they're only there seasonally. They're only there for games or specific events. I also wonder if I think about Soho, which has a lot of rotating gallery spaces. I remember, and Jeff, you might remember this too, is we went to go visit the Wired store. Yes. Which was a pop-up that happened over the holiday season. 
And they didn't even have product in their store. They had product presented on pedestals, but you actually couldn't buy anything from that location. You had to order it online, which I thought for the time was really ahead of the game. Definitely. It was easy to move. They went in and went out. There was no stock to worry about. It all was distributed from an online distributorship. It was great. Well, I think this is what a pop-up offers. It offers you to put your products or your ideas in front of the customer. And you don't always have to have a traditional way of operating. I think Wired is a wonderful example. They were pretty early in that. We've seen others that are doing that where you can't necessarily buy anything right there. I would even venture to say that originally in Samsung experience stores, you couldn't buy anything either. So they were much more of a platform to show the product. Now that's less of a pop-up, but that idea has been out there. But this pop-ups give you the opportunity to test the norms, to do something different, to get noticed. And I think that's where there can be probably more marketing here, but that's a really important part of what you can do with pop-ups. It's not just about sales all the time. Food 52 in New York City is a purely online retailer, but it gives them a really great way to test new products and to capitalize on the gift season with small takeaway items that you can keep in store, but other things will ship. So one thing that is interesting these days is that you've got all these D2C companies that were web-based that are now moving to brick and mortar. This is sort of the common thread about the places we've been talking about. You've got Glossier, you've got Barkshop, and Now, interestingly enough, I'm watching Amazon do the same thing. And for me, it's fascinating to see such a large online organization build these brick and mortar stores, which seem to be also short lived. So I've seen a couple of them in New York where they've had a premier shop where they'll say, okay, these are all of our five star products that we're going to sell. They have a store that comes up. It's very crate driven. It looks like the store was put together with a hodgepodge of different retail fixtures. People flock to it because they think it's this really great event to go check out. And then, you know, a few months later, it's gone. Knowing that Amazon's creating these pop-ups for me is also fascinating because they're testing the brick and mortar space. And then, of course, simultaneously, they're doing their grocery stores and other larger, more specific retail events, but they are doing pop-ups too, which I think is pretty cool. That is so interesting because urgency has a lot to do with this as well. It's there and then it's gone. It does make it a destination for a period of time that it's a must-see that you need to go. It's incredibly relevant. We're doing more studies around this whole concept of the fear of missing out. So people have huge FOMO right now. Yes. Somebody will say... And it can be anything from an art gallery to a happening. I guess the original FOMO would be maybe a concert or an event that you wanted to go to and you really wanted to make sure you had tickets to it. But now seeing this more all around with retail. Did you ever get a chance to see the Pantone pop-up store that was in New York? Not the pop-up, but I have seen a Pantone store and there's one in Milan. So we stopped in quite regularly. I didn't see the pop-up version. No, no. I just saw the one in Milan. Never mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that was pretty cool for me because I would never have thought as a brand that Pantone, which is responsible for color mixing and color palette and color trends, would have a pop-up. But it was brilliant because they partnered with LG to talk about color 
in electronics. It was really neat. And it expanded their market and obviously their customer base because many of those people didn't even know what a Pantone was. Yeah. And the perception of a brand as well. Right. You're exactly right. Extend your audience, introduce yourself to a broader audience, show yourself being much more leading. I'll throw another concept out, which I think is another type of pop-up, I should say, which would be proof of concept or testing a concept. I mentioned two earlier in the show, Nordstrom Local and Nike Live. Right. I visited both of these, the two that were in LA, Nordstrom Local's first store was in LA, just off of Melrose. And it wasn't anything what I expected much, much smaller than a Nordstrom, no product really, but the service was there. Order online, have it delivered to the store, come in and try on what you purchase, have it tailored or altered there and return what you don't want. My impression was that their build out was not extensive or expensive um, because they kept a lot of what the previous retailers fittings were. They just had some minimal dressing rooms, chairs, a little bit of a lounge area. But that was five years ago. I think it opened in 2017 and it's still going strong. And by my count, there are seven Nordstrom locals now. One of the things that's really fascinating to me, and I think that George weigh in on this, is that my question is about what is Nordstrom's secret sauce and brand value? Nordstrom's secret sauce and brand value is very much about service and this ability to feel like you have a connection to them making it easier, them enhancing your life, everything else. And I think that Nordstrom Local is very much a distillation of its brand value and that it's not necessarily about the clothes. It is about the relationship you have with Nordstrom. And I think that That is fascinating. It is fascinating because that's their mantra is service and maintaining this level of trust with the customer. Where I get conflicted is that level of trust and attention from a sales associate from a Nordstrom takes time. And in a pop-up, is that time available to create that trust? And I guess if the pop-up is not necessarily a full-blown pop-up, but more of a temporary space that has longer legs, then you can build that trust and that relationship with the customer. Or maybe to your other point, it extends that relationship from the mothership to a smaller location. So it's like fingers going out into the public to extend that POV and their brand statement. Especially if you look at the context of Nordstrom Local, it's very much more of an urban concept where it's much harder to get to one of the Nordstrom stores, but they can have a much lower build cost. It can be, they can have multiple locations and they do, as you beautifully said, Christine, the Nordstrom local is very much about how they position themselves and what their core values are, which is all about service. So You buy online, but you still need oftentimes alterations or some tailoring. And you have that level of service that you can still go and get from Nordstrom, but you don't have to maybe trek to one of the suburbs or one of the malls to go to the store. You can go right in. You can go right to the Nordstrom local, which is more in the city center. 
But I think the idea of testing, maybe it wouldn't have worked, but I think the fact that they took the risk to test that idea is, I think, very smart. The result that they have seven of them, there must be some value there. All right. I'm going to change gears on us. Store in store or shop in shop, whatever you want to call it, what is the notion of shop and shop? What's it mean? I know what I think it means, but Jeff, you have, I think, some of the most experience here. You're putting your brand in a host environment. Maybe some of them could be considered a pop-up, but I actually think that those, for me personally, I don't think those necessarily fall under the umbrella of the definition of pop-up. I think that's just another representation of or permutation of a physical retail. I do think that there are versions of it. I think, George, you said it a moment ago, direct-to-consumer brands who've been testing in brick-and-mortar concepts, you know, that is something that I think gives them the opportunity to introduce their brand, as we've talked about, to a much broader audience. But there's a complementary brand positioning to the host environment. But I wouldn't say that like Ulta at Target or Sephora at Kohl's or Anthropology Home at Nordstrom are necessarily pop-ups. I think those are much more permanent rollout at scale. Now, we did have fun at Sunglass Hut where we took the Soho flagship and in the back of the store, basically a third of the store we dedicated to what we called a pop-up or a pop-in shop where every three months it changed. That, I would say, is definitely intended to be pop-up. And that was because we wanted to give customers a reason to at least quarterly come in and see something completely new. The more limited edition or experiential we could make it, the better. So we started with a Ray-Ban collaboration with Mr. Brainwash, where he basically recreated his studio, and he then did a limited edition assortment with Ray-Ban. And then we followed that up with a complete multi-sensory experience with Burberry. So just radically different concepts, targeting different customers, but gave the store a sense of energy and it was alive that really made it a destination. I'm going to go back to Target. I mean, that's really interesting because I think that you're right. Target, for example, has permanent retail now showing up whether it's Alta or there are other fashion houses that are coming in. But one thing that is gotten popular, and I know my niece, for example, is really obsessed with this, is following specific designers that come in and do a short or a temporary line of clothing that lives in a Target in a special little shop. And it might only be there for three weeks because it sells out so fast. That's been fascinating to me that they've really turned the department store into a suite of pop-up shops, a lot like Best Buy, I guess, but Best Buys are more permanent. But Target has embraced this concept of a pop-up to drive new customers to come in and reach out further and hit a whole new segment of people. You might have high fashionistas that are going to go into a Target that normally wouldn't. In that same regard, they have to sometimes stop selling those lines online to make sure that there is product in store, which I also think is, again, one of those things that makes Target among the most brilliant retailers we see. I agree. 
Okay, I'm going to throw another one out. We've hit this a little bit, but let's just call it out. Putting your big toe into the proverbial brick and mortar water. So a couple examples, I think Warby Parker tested their brick and mortar concept first as a pop-up in the meatpacking district. Ah, Nope, 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 nope. Warby Parker, Warby Parker, Philadelphia company, boys out of uh, Wharton, first tested their lines in a small, tiny shop in Philadelphia. I know because I went there. But then you're right. Then they went and they they did their first actual store, but they were in retail. They wanted to see if people would come see the glasses. And clearly they did because I did. And it was a parking nightmare, but never mind that. Go ahead. (laughs) Good call out though, Christine. A more recent example, Mercari, online resale retailer who has done a pop-up just to see. It's a different way of presenting your brand. It goes back to the conversation about direct-to-consumer brands. How about Superga? Activation where ideal customers spend their leisure time. There's some real value in this. George, what's your point of view? I'm fascinated with what Warby Parker has turned into when it comes to brick and mortar because I was in there a few weeks ago and they have taken their online presence and created a physical version of it. The layout, the way the glasses are displayed, the language, they've done a tremendous job connecting the dots between their online presence and their physical brick and mortar so well that you almost feel like you're walking through their web pages when you go in the store. And it makes it so much easier to shop for those that are familiar with the brand because if you're used to seeing it online and you now have to go into a brick and mortar space, that translation over is so critical because if you get lost in the retail space, then it's a bust. But they've done a really nice job connecting the dots and making sure that the retail, the brick and mortar retail experience feels like their brand, which has grown from being an online brand. Absolutely. Okay. So let's take off some boxes for our retail or retail wannabes. Benefits of pop-up. We've got test and learn. We've got broaden your reach to introduce yourself to new customers and there's data you can have and that we'll talk about customer acquisition cost is lower via bricks and mortar than it can be online, especially if you control your costs. And there's absolute value in the physical uh, representation of your brand as we recently discussed. We talked about that in our last episode about the IBM IBV Consumers Want It All study. The host retailer involved in this gets to the benefit of not just extending their product lines or being able to reach out and gain expertise they don't normally have in-house to add an additional revenue opportunity without the burden of a really heavy cost of goods sold and SKU management. George, what am I missing? Wow, you've covered a whole gamut of things here. You've hit them all. I remember one that the three of us worked on together, and it wasn't necessarily a pop-up, but it was a flagship store. And we used to say, in the sense that it just appeared and it has lasted for a while, but we always believed that pop-ups were a good place to test technology and a really good place to get your foot in the water and try out new ways of engaging with customers without having to roll out and invest millions of dollars, you could 
try some different ways of tracking people. You could try different ways of engaging with people, different types of interactives. And the investment would be minimal. So I'd add to your list and say it's a wonderful way to test out technology without having to make a huge investment across a bunch of locations. I agree completely, George. There are enablers out there as well. Not everyone has these capabilities in-house. And you don't necessarily have to do everything on your own. Square, as an example, definitely supports these types of initiatives. There are mall developers, more innovative mall developers who've embraced this often because they have, at least especially over the last couple of years, they have empty storefronts. So they have been developing solutions to support D2C brands or really new up and coming brands and giving them a brick and mortar platform. It's a company like BoxPop that creates really cool mobile solutions. There's also other companies out there that support pop-ups and even operate them on behalf of the brand, especially when you get into the operations side of the business that opens a can of worms that a lot of brands just don't have that skill set internally. George, you've worked on pop-up concepts, and I'm curious what your approach is here. How do you work with brands and retailers when pop-up is requested? Or if you see that a pop-up would be a great opportunity or a brand extension for a client? Well, you just said two of the key things for me, which was recently was able to work with an electronics giant to create a pop-up around NFTs. And the connection was because they produce screens, how could they be the leader in the NFT space by creating an art gallery? And this one was going into Soho that crossed different customer segments. You would reach out to the NFT geek or the guy that's concentrating on his laptop all day long. And now we're proposing, hey, why don't you take a look at these on a larger screen, which is probably something they never would have thought of doing. And it gave the electronics company the ability to kind of own that space. The other thing that worked out for them was that they don't have a partnership with a content creator. So, you know, Sony has got their relationships and Samsung has their relationships. But this one did not have a specific relationship with any one content provider. So there weren't any great movies that they could show. And this partnership worked out because it allowed them to be the people's content provider. And it was really fun. So I think that the the nice thing for pop-ups for me is really also about crossing your brand with another one, pollinating in partnership with somebody else to create an event or a space that's really remarkable. I love that. Yeah. And Georgia, The Verge tipped it. So we do know that that is Samsung, near and dear to my heart working on NFTs, because I just saw it come through earlier this week, a couple days ago, Uh, The Verge is talking about an art gallery with NFTs and Samsung. And what they're doing is showing the image quality of TVs that they wouldn't be able to show otherwise. That's a perfect application of a pop-up. Exactly. That sort of leads me to the barriers of this approach, because at the same time, could a pop-up be perceived as a distraction to the core business? How do you get to the ROI of a pop-up? Because the merchandise you might use might not have been part of your original mix. While there is a low capital investment for somebody who is a one or a two shop reaching up, that might be an actual capital investment. And 
there are some operational complexities or a lack of operational experiences. How do we recommend people deal with those sorts of challenges? Where are the resources to help them get through? I found that the barriers are really complicated because I think many brands operate in silos. You have the marketing group, you have the sales group. And a pop-up to me really represents a little bit of both. So it's a great way to market your brand and put it in a new location. And it's an opportunity for sales to also have their finger in it, although it might not be about sales, it might be about marketing. So you get this conflict of interest between these two organizations. Who's supposed to own it? Who's supposed to manage it? Is it a money-making machine? Is it not a money-making machine? So, you know, I hear this all the time is who will manage this? And do we have to hire yet a third group to manage it, which is more of a neutral group that doesn't have any interest in either the marketing side or the sales side, that they're just there to support it and bring the two teams together? That for me has been a constant drumbeat that we've been facing from the beginning of creating pop-ups is who owns it. That's a really good example of why things don't happen sometimes. It's unfortunate. But I find that when people are doing that, it's because they potentially are overthinking the concept. So to my way of thinking, prove it works first. Absolutely. Prove it works. Then figure out how to scale it. That's right. Go figure out what you're going to learn and then figure out how you want to operationalize. Most times, it's a success if it's located in a good spot. If it's in a traffic area, you know, if the real estate group found a nice spot to put something that will get the attention they need, it turns out to be very successful. And you will have the crowds come that you wouldn't normally have. You'll have people coming that know that this is on a timeline, so they want to make sure they hit it before it goes away. I think the bigger the retailer, the bigger some of those challenges can be. Yeah, absolutely. Or the brand, I should say. But I love the idea that maybe you have a third party operate it. So it takes some of that finger pointing away, potentially. It's so funny how for as much conversation about breaking down silos that there's been over the last X number of years as we've shifted to omni-channel and what we call customer channel, which is supporting the customer, retailers and brands are still so siloed at times. I really like the idea that you said, and as well as Christine, let's just see what happens. Let's get it in front of customers. Let's see what the reaction is. We can learn so much from that. And then we can work through some of those details. Right. Remove that stress. Absolutely. Right. So if you were going to go visit a pop-up this afternoon, because we are recording this in the morning, which one would it be? And I'll go first, since I saw my darling Olivia, the truck, and my friend Janelle, who she has become my friend because I buy flowers from her all the time, opportunist that she is. But the other thing is, I will go to any taco truck. I mean, I'm serious. Find me a good taco pop-up truck, and I am there. Well, I know where I'm going after we have this conversation. In Boston, there's an area, there's an arts district that on Saturdays and Sundays has a series of trucks that come in that are food trucks that partners up with a local farmer's market. So you can go get your favorite taco, you can go get a burrito, you can get a go get a bon mi, and then go do some grocery shopping and go home. And it's really fun. For me, I love the food truck thing. And I'm in line with you about the tacos, Christine. Well, I don't know if I have a place that I'm going to go, Christine, but I do have a pop-up that I've just 
consistently referenced ever since I saw it. And it's an apparel brand out of the Netherlands called Clemens in August. And their pop-up was just so brilliant from a design perspective that was so complementary to their brand aesthetic. It was basically plywood boxes that would basically deconstruct to create the space, more of a minimal presentation, but also their location strategy. They primarily went from museum lobby to museum lobby. This is primarily in Europe. Everything was complementary, who they were positioning themselves as their customer, how they were getting in front of them, the aesthetic of the space, the functionality of the space. You just build the boxes back up, you put them on a truck and you drive. They just had a real brilliant overall strategy and execution. For me right now, it's really important that retailers go out on a limb and try and create experiences that will delight, we say capture and delight people, because we have spent enough time over the last two years in our homes trying to entertain ourselves with our laptops and game sets and all that stuff. And people want to get out and enjoy life again. And it's really a great opportunity for brands and retailers to be that cure for the cabin fever that we've all had and create environments and spaces that are just fun for people to enjoy. And I hope that they take advantage of this time because it's not going to happen like this again. George, this has been an extremely insightful conversation. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. How can people reach you? People can reach me on LinkedIn. Please shoot me an email or look at my information there. There's probably a chat box there you can use to get hold of me. And if you've got any issues or want to try and explore the world of pop-ups, please shoot me a note. Excellent. I really love what you just said. That was a great way to end this. We're in the era of the customer channel. It's time to change our approach and business practices to deliver what the customer wants. This is Retail Done Right. Christine and I would like to personally thank you for joining our conversation. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know where. Please comment. This helps us reach a broader audience. And please connect with Christine and me on LinkedIn and also George Bird. We love hearing from you. Michael Cook via Upwork is our amazing editor and sound engineer. J.D. Sirawad composed our beautiful music. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate you guys. And George and I are going to go get some tacos. And then we might go find Jeff to go shopping. Um, But in the interim, we will always send you pictures and images. Check us out at Retail Done Right on Instagram and at our website, retaildoneright.net. Take care, guys. Have a good one.